Sessions Podcast. So, hello and welcome everybody to the Prevence Podcast. I think it's number nine, Marcel, is it? No. <laughs> He's looking at me like, bro, you have one job. How do you not know that? <laughs> no, um, welcome to the Prevence Podcast, the podcast where we talk about, uh, where we talk to business and legal professionals about their jobs and their lives before the backdrop of digitization and connectivity. Today is actually one of the joyful days where we can talk about law and business because our guest, uh, Dr. Benedikt Kvaich, is indeed a lawyer and a businessman at the same time. Hey, Benedikt, how's it going, man? How are you doing? Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, fun, mm -hmm. thank you. Actually, we have to thank you for inviting us. We are actually right now in your offices in Düsseldorf. We are currently in the offices of the Right Now group in uh, Düsseldorf. And I have to say, wonderful office. You did a really good job with thanks, everything here. Thanks, thanks, thanks. <laughs> um, this is... You know, the last interview we did, we interviewed uh, Anna Mork. You know her? She says hi, by the way. Thank you. I and, know her very well, yes. <laughs> and we did it remotely. And I, I do have to say that I actually like, now that I've experienced both, I like the face-to-face -face more than I do the remotely. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm fed up of looking at a screen all the time. How do you feel about that? Are you like a more remote or more personal Personal is way uh -huh. better. So mm -hmm. I think it's working okay with all, all this virtual stuff and mm -hmm. the virtual mm -hmm. conferences, but personal connection you can never replace by any kind of virtual event. So I like it very much that we're sitting here together. Yeah. Wonderful. So tell me, Benedict, what do you do? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> to think about it. So what do I do? Um, yeah, as, as you just mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of Right Now Group. So um, my two other co-founders are Tom and Philip, and we three, we founded Right Now Group back in early 2017. Um, what does Right Now do? We are a legal tech company, and we are purchasing consumer claims. So we're doing basically a factoring business. If you, as a consumer, have a claim, for example, against an airline, uh, insurance company, against your landlord, or whatever type of company, um, you can sell this claim to us. We we check if it's a valid claim, if uh, how much is the risk associated with this claim, and then we pay you an offer amount calculated by us, and you can keep this money, whatever comes, whatever happens. Right. We have this claim then on our balance sheet, and we enforce it with our software, with our legal part, with our legal department, we enforce it, get the money back, and out of this, uh, we have our business. Okay. Um, we're doing this, uh, or we started back in 2017 in, in the airline no-show um, area. So if you have a booked flight, but you do not take it, then you have a refund claim for taxes and fees. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some airlines pay pay this, but most airlines don't. Um, although it's written in the law, it's, it's, a, it's a clear thing that you have to pay it. And so we are buying these claims, giving the customers the money, and then uh, filing lawsuits against the airlines, etc. Um, and nowadays, we're also doing this in car damage uh, claim area. We're doing this in the incidental rental costs, uh, so um, what costs are associated with your rent. We are nowadays also doing this with a GDPR claim. So if you are, um, if there was a data breach and mm -hmm. your data was lost, then you have a claim for compensation, and we're buying these claims. Uh, these claims, and all, always, of course, we're looking for new opportunities so for new claims, which can be uh, put into our factoring structure. Because so. 
to answer it very shortly, very quickly, what <laughs> right. do I do? Yeah. I run uh, right now as a legal tech company and right now buys consumer claims mm -hmm. and thus helps consumers to get uh, access to justice, basically. Maybe some okay. key facts uh, at yeah. last. 40 people uh, now. We have two offices, Düsseldorf, where we are sitting right now. Right, right. And we have a Berlin office um, also. We had uh, three financing rounds by venture capital investors. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are known in Germany. Um, and uh, we are actually closing our fourth financing round uh, tomorrow. So, oh, wow. okay. so when this podcast will be uh, put out, mm -hmm. it is already closed. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, basically these are the key facts. Okay. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned also the founders-in-law a second ago. What exactly is that? Founders in Law is um, one of my initiatives. So maybe yeah. I just only talked about right now. <laughs> I can talk a little bit of myself beside this. So <laughs> um, uh, this is like a sickness when you are a founder. So you always only think about the company. <laughs> so um, yeah, besides besides this. So when I when when we founded uh, right now, I was uh, doing my PhD in law, mm -hmm. and um, I I still have some uh, some love for 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 the legal area in general and for, for the law. Um, and so I'm uh, also co-editing some law books, etc. Uh, but um, And this year I founded the initiative Founders in Law to, together with Lena Kravitz, also oh, a legal yeah. tech uh, yeah, yeah, from, yeah. from Berlin. Um, and our goal is just to uh, bring more legal people, more lawyers, uh, more, more uh, people who studied law to found a company, to really go to the entrepreneurial uh, path, to really live this entrepreneurial spirit. Because I think, for me at least, this is the perfect combination. So uh, here right now, um, in general in my life, I can do law. So I, we, we have big discussions about legal problems, about legal arguments, etc. But at the same time, it's an entrepreneurial life. So I can have uh, the joy and, of course, the challenges right. yeah. <laughs> of founding company, etc. And with Founders in Law, we want to uh, just present to the people in the legal area that this is a valid option because if you study law, usually you think, okay, I will be a lawyer. Maybe I go to administration, uh, prosecution, and maybe at the end I will be some kind of judge. But uh, this is everything. Yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to do. And this is just these kind of stereotypes we have to overcome. And uh, this is one uh, small uh, step maybe to do this. Yeah, very cool. So before this interview, Benedict, like with all the other guests, I did some I did some digging on you guys, right? I did some research on you guys. <laughs> and uh, by the way, you guys are super, you're already so famous that you're super easy to, to Google. So congratulations on that beforehand. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I read in an article that uh, you passed the bar uh, with the highest results in your federal state. Now, out of personal curiosity, how many points exactly did you get? Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> Uh, I got fifteen point six. Oh wow! Come on, man. Wait, maybe just let put let's put this into relation for the people that uh, don't that are not familiar with the German system. So in the German system, you have eighteen points. Nobody ever gets eighteen points. I don't know a single person who ever got eighteen points. True. Uh, fact is that if you get nine out of those eighteen points, you already pass with what we call a, a predicate exam. So you pass with distinction, and you can basically go and do uh, whatever the hell you want. Now. The thing is, Benedict, can you tell, there's probably a couple of students listening to this podcast, what would you tell the people that are currently cramming for the, for the bar exam or for their LLM, how, how do you pass an exam that is so hard without having a mental breakdown? 
That's <laughs> a good question. I don't really know. So, <laughs> uh, I, I had, to, I at least also had one mental breakdown. I think <laughs> I remember it very well. So, um, I think the most important uh, thing what I remember about uh, studying, etc., is always keep going and right. uh, always focus on the end result and. The, the horrible time of study will pass mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then better times are to come. Um, yeah. And basically with this kind of focus and concentration, I managed uh, okay. And uh, so this is what I can uh, tell yeah. everybody. Keep going. <clears throat> There is uh, uh, hope. <laughs> A light at the end of the tunnel somewhere. We don't know how long the tunnel is, but it's somewhere, guys. It, it yeah. will be there. Yeah, yeah. So how did you feel when... You came out uh, when you finished your studies, like uh, when you came out of the oral exam and you knew, oh, okay, right, now I finished my studies. Were you, was it like, mm, were you happy? Were you relieved? Or were you like, thank God I, thank God I have this behind me and I can start doing real shit? Like what, what exactly were your feelings when you knew you'd finished, you passed the, the studies? Yeah, relieved, definitely. Mm. So mm. then I was looking to new endeavors and new uh, new challenges, new mm. topics. Yeah. As I said, then I did my PhD in law mm. uh, at mm. the university. Yeah. And partly uh, uh, at the same time uh, when doing the PhD, I started to found uh, right now. So back then, maybe yeah. uh, in high school, I never had oh, the wow. clear yeah. plan to really uh, found a company or something. But okay. throughout my studies, Really, this interest in entrepreneurial thinking and founding company became real. So all, all, already during my studies, I founded a very little, very small company with Philip, who is one of my co-founders mm -hmm. right now as well. Mm -hmm. I know him from high school already. And uh, we, we did some social media uh, agency back mm -hmm. then in 2011 when nobody knew anything about social media. Wow. So um, this was very uh, interesting, very nice. And through this and uh, all the studies, etc., really my drive and interest for the for, for founding company, etc., uh, came to life. And then when the studies were finished, so to answer your question, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, now it's time to really maybe try this, give it a try. Um, and parallel to doing the PhD, uh, small with small steps, uh, uh, founding the company. Cool. Uh, Benedict, with the result as solid as yours, you could have basically gone and do, uh, you could have gone and done anything. You could, you know, you could have become a lawyer at a big law firm, or you could have become a judge or a notary or something like that. But you chose to go down the path that is maybe even a little bit more risky of founding your own company. What were uh, what was the reason for that? Yeah, very easy answer. It's so much fun. So <laughs> I think um, so. I thought about it, and you have limited uh, time in your life. So and you have to think about how do I want to spend this time? I want to use it, and what what do I want to do? And when mm. I think about myself sitting in some, of course, great office in uh, in law firms, and I I like these people very much. Um, who are doing this? A lot of my friends are doing it, and I, I know the, uh, I know all the process, etc., very well. But this would be nothing for me. So uh, I, I'm interested in legal problems, in legal arguments. I really like uh, uh, f trying to find a good solution, but also. Um, Uh, while uh, having my company, so <laughs> while mm -hmm. while growing uh, the, this 
small thing, which used to be a very small thing to <laughs> to uh, to a nice uh-huh. uh, up and running company now. And it's just so much fun. You every day is a new day, and every day you have a new challenge, yeah. which is of course also associated with what you said. That is a little bit more risky, probably than uh, maybe also becoming a judge or whatever. But mm. the answer is clear. It's so much fun. So with every with every startup, uh, you know the main one of the main problems is going to be funding or money. What uh, did you guys do to to convince your investors? And do you think the fact that legal tech is growing at the moment helped a lot in that respect? Yeah. So at the beginning of of right now, legal tech was not growing so much. It was, no. it was the early phase of uh, the legal tech era. So <laughs> you have to <laughs> okay. call it like this if you want to call it like this. So. What we did, of course, um, basically what we're doing, the, the factoring business, etc., is in the world since a long time, for a long time. So uh, you have big companies selling their claims against consumers to big factoring companies, which then enforce the claim. And we are doing it the other way around. So we are uh, purchasing claims from consumers and then enforce them against big companies. So this is the innovative thing of the business model. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's very easy to do it in a digital way. Um, and this is why uh, basically it's legal tech. Mm-hmm. And w- what did we do to convince the investors? So, of course, we tried to present a solid business plan to, to present good numbers which match and which come out. And then, of course, we have a great team um, and I think we're always focusing on legal areas in which the markets are pretty big, in which you can really achieve a lot, and which are not so much on the uh, so much known already. So, for example, the no-show uh, airline claim. Nobody did this before. Mm-hmm. So n- nobody even cared about this claim before we came in the market and we tried to really uh, approach as many customers as possible. So I would say combination of solid numbers, good business plan, a great team, and of course the vision to really address markets which were not addressed so far. So there's a big opportunity. And with this, uh, we could uh, convince some of uh, some investors now, which yeah. we are very grateful uh, for. Um, and then of course, now you're absolutely right. So League Tech is becoming much more prominent, much more in the focus. Um, even though with the v- classical venture capital investors, VC investors still a little bit hesitant. So um, I would say, for example, fintech uh, mm-hmm. or some other areas, they get much more funding uh, than legal tech because, of course, in the legal tech sector, it's pretty difficult to internationalize. So uh, just going uh, everywhere in Europe uh, <laughs> is easier said, said than done because you need to comply with all these regulations uh, in every country, etc. So it's not that harmonized then, for example, in the banking area or something. Um, and But but in general, uh, it is true. So it is becoming more prominent. Uh, venture capital investors are looking into it, uh, are investing into it. But of course, I wish uh, there would be much more than it is today. And I think if uh, also the uh, politicians, etc., would recognize that legal tech is such an important and such a growing field and also lighten some regulations and uh, help to really improve uh, a level playing field for all uh, actors in the legal market, then venture capital investors would uh, go for everything possible there. But due to uh, 
it's logical. Legal tech is closely connected to regulations, etc. Sure. So it's still a little bit uh, hesitant, but um, I think yeah. there are were some improvements made, and we're on the right yeah. uh, way there. Yeah. And also, I think we we talked to uh, we talked to a judge, an investigative judge from Cologne, and we asked him why uh, why it's taking so long. He basically told us that he thinks that because it's because especially the courts, they don't feel like they really need to adapt um, adapt to legal tech now because the people still have to come to them. There is no nudging or anything. But I still think that legal tech is going to grow much faster than we might think. You know, it might be more difficult for us. Like if, I, for example, if I tell someone, hey, I think that an online court will be the norm 10 years from now. People laugh in my face, right? But at the end, at the but at the end of the day, I think it was I think it was Richard Susskind who said not that I mm. want to compare myself to Richard Susskind, oh. but he was uh, but he said and that, that this was back in 1996. He said something along the lines of I think in the future the client and counsel will interact mainly over email. And this is he said that to a time where people were thinking that the email is still a trend and will will blow over, you know. And now look at us. You know, the, the lawyers telling their clients, hey, you know what? No, I don't have any time. Just drop me a DM. I need to finish recording my TikTok video. So, <laughs> you know, stuff has true, changed. True, right? true. Yeah. And um, uh, talking about the online courts, etc. Hmm. Even though I personally don't know if it really will be the reality in 10 years, mm -hmm. but for sure it should be. Mm -hmm. It should be for sure. So there's so many possibilities to really improve the system. And when I look at our cases, so we, we file thousands of lawsuits every year. Uh, and most of them always look the same. It's always about the same story. There's no, <laughs> there's no, no uh, surprise, nothing in it. So it can be done so easily right. online. Yeah. It can also uh, or also been done automatically. You you don't need a judge who who uh, studied for years, who passed a bar exam, right. who, who maybe did a PhD, and then yeah. uh, he or she sits there and thinks, okay, what is this crap? This is so easy. <laughs> uh, why did I study for this? So yeah. Yeah. Um, my 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 position on this is clear. So there yeah. there should be online courts better yesterday mm -hmm. <laughs> than mm -hmm. today, and mm -hmm. um, also even further going into this, so some automation, etc., in the court system. Mm -hmm. There's no question. So yeah. we only need people's minds to to think in this way. And this is probably the the toughest uh, challenge. Yeah. yeah. So Benedict, I want to give our listeners a couple of insights into the the topics that you guys handle here at right now. So uh, here's a little scenario for you. Yeah. Let's say it's January 2020. It's super cold outside, and I think to myself, Hey, I really, really need a vacation. So I book and I pay for a flight to in Germany. We would call it a Pauschalreise, so a travel travel to some really um, popular destination. Uh, and I fast forward two months, the worldwide pandemic hits us hard, and I receive an email from the airline stating that unfortunately my flight will not take place like all other commercial flights due to the high security risk, but they do not offer to reimburse me for the tickets. However, they do offer me a voucher for the next possible flight to my destination. The thing is, I'd actually much rather have my money back, but I'm unsure if I have a claim. And if it would just be safer to take the voucher and hope that the airline doesn't go bankrupt in the next year. But then I remember, look, I, I actually know someone who's a specialist in that area and I call you. So, Benedict, what do I do? Do I take the voucher or not? <laughs> It's a good question. So, and the answer is very clear. Mm. Do not take the voucher, but uh, enforce the claim you have. So, you have a claim. This is 100% sure. If the, uh, the airline cancels your flight or the tour operator cancels your package travel tour, which is called Pauschalreise uh, mm. in German, you have a claim for full reimbursement um, 
of the price you paid, even though uh, the pandemic, uh, as you said, is extraordinary circumstance or whatever, um, but uh, it is not regarded as extraordinary uh, under the law. Mm -hmm. So the European Commission made this clear. You always have a claim for reimbursement in these cases. So um, especially regarding packaged travel, uh, the, the federal government and the, the federal parliament, they wanted to issue some kind of obligation voucher so that you were forced to take the voucher and do not have a claim anymore but this was not possible due to European Union consumer law okay. so the European Union said uh, no forced vouchers vouchers can be taken voluntarily so if you really think okay maybe uh, in the summer I will fly again you can take the voucher but I would always go for enforcing the claim And uh, getting your money back. Actually, I, I had the same situation. So really? okay. <laughs> I, I had a, a flight booked to Venice. Uh, that was cancelled. But as it's probably always the case, so um, for for the right now and for our customers, I'm fighting very hard. But for me personally, I forgot <laughs> about it. <laughs> so nice. unfortunately, okay. still still need to enforce the claim. So, but the, yeah. the answer is pretty clear. I okay. would say. Um, and uh, in this regard, of course, we had many cases. So uh, uh, thinking about the year 2020, especially March and April, we had so many cases. Yeah. This was crazy. But of course, after this, it dropped down a little bit. So because no flights, mm -hmm. uh, no no-shows, etc. <laughs> so uh, this was pretty clear. But then we developed a new special product for the COVID-19 pandemic, which is about package travel, about two operators, and okay. especially about vouchers. So the question is very great <laughs> because we are buying the vouchers. So if you have a voucher and ah. uh, you don't want it and you want the money, we're buying the voucher. So, But this only as a side uh, note. Yeah. So yeah. it is indeed a very practical and very uh, yeah, important topic which you raised and But mm. always the answer would be uh, go after your money. Right, yeah. So, guys, you heard it here. Don't take the voucher. Rather sell it to Benedict or to the <laughs> right now group. Right. right. So this, yeah, you just mentioned a very, this is a very good example of a topic that is hot right now due to the, you know, to the current situation. Uh, and you already named another very, very good example of how your company adjusted to COVID. And it's extremely important nowadays that companies shift, you know, shift their perspective in order to accommodate the current circumstances. Um, did you, do you have any other, did you guys do any other stuff or did you guys accommodate this current situation in any other way that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, so, so as I said, of course, um, um, there are always three to four aspects to COVID from our perspective, I would say. The, the first one is extreme growth and extreme number of cases in March and April. So this was really tough for us to uh, to work uh, on this on these cases and to really make all, all customers happy. But uh, I hope we managed at least. <laughs> so this is the first one. Second one, of course, uh, we had to uh, change our cash inflow planning, our our liquidation planning because airlines basically stop paying for several weeks and months and so we, of course uh, we need to adjust our cash inflow plan because we're always cashing out first so giving the customer the money right. and then later on we get the money back so it's always it's a crucial point in our business model to really plan the cash inflow plan the cash flow in general so we had to adjust there Third thing is uh, we thought about new products, new options. Uh, I just described one to you. And the fourth, of course, is uh, home office, etc. So we, we went to complete home office in the first wave. 
And now we have basically one office day uh, per week, uh, more or less. Um, so this is, of, of course, a big change, I think, for everybody in the working uh, world. And um, as we as we said at the beginning, I think virtual uh, conference, virtual events work better than expected. So when we went to home office back then, I thought, oh, God, now everything <laughs> is going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it didn't. Uh, it worked out very well. Uh, but still. I like the the personal uh, connection, she said, or of course mm. more. Yeah. When we talked to Anna this weekend, I asked her about how she felt about launching her magazine, The Legal Layman, in a city like Würzburg and how tech is helping her in that endeavor. Uh, she answered something along the lines of tech in Germany, Dania, I feel like in, in Würzburg, the internet hasn't even arrived yet. So, uh, how do you feel about digitization in Germany, especially in the legal area? Now, you just told me about the, that you think that the politics should change in some way. Yeah, or what is? Uh, do you think? What do you think are the main bottlenecks of why legal tech is not as advancing as fast as some would like? Yeah. So uh, regarding legal tech, I think uh, there are three factors. So first one is people's minds. So you just have the lawyers, uh, you have the professors, you you have everybody who uh, still lives in a, a system basically created by Bismarck in 1866 and following. So the, the law studies were created back then and uh, the thinking about the legal world, etc., was uh, was created back then. Yeah. And it never really changed uh, until today. And this is maybe or can or maybe also be explained because if you're going or when you're going to the university, etc., your role models always live in this old system. Uh, and then you adapt to it and you think, okay, then I also go only for these uh, classic jobs. Right. I, also, I also think about, okay, why uh, do we do uh, digital things? We need to have printed out <laughs> folders, etc. Right. It's much better. Um, <laughs> so it's always, uh, the, the system keeps uh, on living. Um, so people's minds. But there is, there's change in this. Um, and I think the change is in the right direction. We have to keep going there. The second thing actually is politics indeed. Mm -hmm. So uh, there were many court rulings, court judgments about legal tech regulation, etc. So we had the German Supreme Court ruling in uh, fall of 2019 uh, about some kind of the, the, the German Legal Services Act. But still, it's in in many cases it's unclear. Uh, the courts uh, are of different opinions, etc. So this is just like mm, a stone in the way. So you right. really have to overcome this. And uh, now <clears throat> the the federal government issued some drafts for some kind of uh, act, some kind of bills, but. These are only very small steps. So some kind of improvement, uh, some more information duties, etc. But not a real thing to really say, okay, we acknowledge legal tech, we think it's a good way right. and then we want to go there. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, third thing, of course, is uh, t technization, digitization in general in Germany. Um, I think it has become uh, way better than it used to be several years ago. But still, it is, uh, if you compare it to, to other countries, for example, here, Estonia, etc. So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or even though if you go to the US, etc. In, in 2013, I talked to a federal judge in the USA, yeah. and he told me, okay, I have no paper in my court. It's completely paperless court. 
in wow. 2013. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and okay. now go to court here. There is no paperless court <laughs> at all. Yeah. So <laughs> my friend, my friend Torsten, the judge, he actually told yes. me that he still knows lawyers that do not work with a computer, yes. only with paper. Yes. And just to put, you know, the juxtaposition. Look at that. Oh you have to think about it. So, <laughs> so these are the three uh, topics in general that um, just um, are challenges for legal mm-hmm. tech, I would mm-hmm. say. But um, when you have a look at the last years, uh, for uh, when we started 2017 to today, it is a huge step. So really, there are developments. People are going for this, are thinking about this, are talking about this. Also, politicians and and uh, members of the of the ministries of the federal ministries are acknowledging this and thinking, okay, we have to go for this. So, for example, we have uh, Zina Dörr. She's uh, mm. yeah, know. you know yeah. her. So, so she's from the federal ministry of justice, and now she was also awarded European Women Woman of Legal Tech, etc. Yeah, so, these are the right steps because uh, we see official uh, state um, members, state workers, etc. Mm. They are acknowledging this and going the right direction so yeah. i think this is a wonderful uh, path but we c- have to keep on going yeah. and uh, <laughs> the end is not in sight so far yeah. Yeah. um i'm gonna ask you a question that we ask all our guests what has been yes. the biggest fail of your career benedict the biggest fail um yeah i can answer it uh pretty clear it yeah. was not a real fail due to my personal failures but it was a big fail in our company's history also so i i told you that we started with the flight no show claims yeah but back then when we started um, it was still possible to not claim only for the taxes and fees but for 95 percent of the ticket price uh-huh. because there was a ruling of the german supreme court from 1985 which allowed this. And so we always um, bought the claims and enforced 95% of the ticket price, which uh-huh. is very much. Uh, taxes and fees are between 10 and maybe in some cases 70, 75% of the ticket price, but never 95%. So it was really a good thing for us, really big claims. And then uh, we just scaled up and with great marketing, etc. And uh, one day, it was March 19, went in the Handelsblatt, uh, where a big, big uh, article saying, mm-hmm. okay, Carsten Maschmeyer invests in this company, a great company, they are buying uh, flight no-show claims because of the 95% rule. Mm-hmm. And then in March 20th, um, there was a ruling of the German Supreme Court, which abolished this ruling out of no from 1985. Oh so, which basically then said, okay, only taxes and fees can be claimed back, not 95% of the ticket price. So we had in the target shower, wow. uh, German <laughs> Supreme Court ruled uh, no ticket price anymore. So one day after we had the Hannesplatt article. Um, but so this single thing would be big fail. But then we managed... Uh, and on March 21, so one day after, we had an article in Focus, uh, Focus, which is a print ma- magazine in mm-hmm. Germany, which says these guys are coping with a uh, great judgment of the German Supreme Court. They uh, used to uh, buy tax and fees claims all along. <laughs> 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 so, so we managed to really uh, present nice. present this in a great way. Cool. Wow, okay. um, and since then, I'll be, it, Actually, from nowadays perspective, it was very good for our business model because mm-hmm. uh, due to this, we can scale much better. It can be standardized much better. But uh, when I remember March 20, 
28, uh, it was a black day. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Well, <clears throat> let me ask the opposite question. So, of course, you know, of course, everybody has uh, big failures to show for, but also a lot of success. What's the biggest success you had so far? What makes you the happiest? <sighs> That's a very <laughs> tough question. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not as easy as the failure question. <laughs> of course, so many things come to my mind uh, in this regard. First, I would say uh, building right now, company in general. So uh, when I remember spring 2017 and we went to the notary and said, okay, now we found the company, mm. I would have never thought that we come to 40 people, to two offices, to really great financing. Role. So basically this would be my biggest success. And cool. the second biggest was finishing my PhD and publishing a good, uh, mm-hmm. good outlet. Cool. So normally we uh, we're getting to the end of this uh, of this interview. And normally we would ask a personal question, but you already told me in the preparation that you are neither a rock or a rap fan, which broke my heart. <laughs> you broke my heart here, Benedict. What do you do? So, it's so, true. <laughs> so the question, the personal question, I'm going to ask you is: uh, Do you have any travel destination in mind once this whole Corona mess blows over? The answer is very easy. Kenya is mm-hmm. the answer. So mm-hmm. um, we actually had a trip booked for. I think right now I would be really? there. Oh. So for December. Yeah. Did uh, you did you get the money back from the flight though? We did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay, it yeah. was very easy. Really? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This I didn't forget. So about <laughs> Venice trip, I forgot. Yeah, um, yeah so we, we had this uh, great safari trip, etc. planned. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And now, of course, obviously it was cancelled. Um, and this would be a first destination okay. when yeah. uh, travel restrictions, etc. are lighted again. Yeah. Let me check the time. If like, okay, we still have we still have seven minutes. I'm going to hit you with another anecdote to end this interview with. Actually, Marcel and me, um, we're brothers. We used to live in uh, in Africa. Actually, oh, we went yeah. to Kenya in, I think it was 2013. Marcel was living in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. I came yeah. to visit him. We went to Kenya and we went to Mombasa. We were chilling at the beach and there's this local guy coming up to us saying, hey guys, what's going on? So we have a talk with him and all of a sudden he asks us, hey guys, where are you from? And he says, uh, and, and we say, yeah, we, uh, we're from Germany. All of a sudden he goes, Ah, schönen guten Tag. Netzi kennenzulernen. In the, in the most pristine, impeccable accent ever. And I'm like, how though? Turns out, turns out that a tourist or a friend of his left him a cassette recorder with a cassette tape inside with German phrases, which he learned off by heart and now speaks German with a better accent than most Germans I know, right? So just, Great story. Yeah, so, Great just, story. so just heads up, Benedict. If you're in Mombasa, if you're in Kenya the next year, whatever. Exactly. Or if you're just chilling on the beach, right? Chilling, and you're wondering why everybody is so fluent in German. That's probably because that cassette tape is still in rotation. So just so you know. No. Right. Um, Benedict, thank you so much for, uh, for being our guest today. This was a really, really great interview. The very last question, um, what advice do you have for future entrepreneurs or future lawyers who might be thinking of uh, founding their own company? Yes, I would say always be brave and Mm -hmm. uh, don't uh, follow the stereotypes, don't follow the classic minds uh, which still believe in Bismarck system. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But go besides uh, the big streets, uh, think about outside the box, be brave and just do it and then Mm-hmm. Uh, you will have success. Cool. So, dear listeners, that was Dr. Benedict Kvash for you. Thank you very much for listening to the Prevence Podcast. My name is Daniel, and we're out. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Prevence Podcast.